Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, we're going to do a quick survey of verses 17 through 35. During the English Reformation, the ruling kings and queens were often alternately Roman Catholic and Protestant. And so they would drag the country in one direction and then they would drag it in another. And there was all sorts of fighting, infighting among the different uh, uh, religious camps of Protestantism and Roman Catholicism. The idea of a society where people were free to worship as they please was not yet invented, which kind of sounds strange as that's all we've ever known in America. Uh, Roger Williams was in America then in the 1600s working on the very concept of letting people choose for themselves what religion they will be or not be and, and to have free will without any pressure to either repent and believe in Christ or reject him. But that concept had not yet traveled over to England, and thus the country was ravaged by war between disagreeing religious factions. The solution, which many kings and queens sought to uh, employ to fix the problem, was to create an act called the Act of Uniformity, where everybody was supposed to worship the same way. It didn't matter whether you're Roman Catholic or you're Protestant, it was kind of a standardized worship service, uh, and so that way we could all just agree to worship this one way and call yourself what you want, we'll all kind of be doing the same thing in the country. Well, uh, Roman Catholics didn't like the act because they believed the Church of Rome was infallible, but they were willing to compromise as the act was really an attempt to make Protestants worship more like Catholics uh, than it was to make Roman Catholics worship like Protestants. Protestants, however, didn't like the act of uniformity because they believed the Bible was infallible, that it was the sole rule of faith and practice, and they couldn't in good conscience Uh, conscience submit to the act. Eventually, Charles I was put to death for treason, and uh, in his place rose up Oliver Cromwell, who became Lord Protector of England. And Cromwell, uh, he was uh, really a great military leader and had an army of Puritans. And during his rule, uh, Puritanism and Protestantism flourished. But eventually he died and the the country began to cry out again for a king or a queen and the monarchy. And so Charles II was then restored to uh, the throne. Uh, Again, he tried to reinstate the act of uniformity after making some modifications. It didn't work all the other times, but he thought it would work this time. Yet the Protestants could not submit to it in a clear conscience... And so eventually over 2,000 godly Bible preaching uh, ministers were removed from their pulpits in a single day. Their licenses to preach revoked and they were basically sent out uh, from their churches. It was a sad time in England and most of the pastors preached their farewell sermons on August 17th, 1662, a week before the act was to take effect. However, there were some preachers who were so faithful and bold and fearless in preaching the gospel that they were just told, you have to leave your church, you can't even say goodbye. And one of those preachers was Thomas Brooks. Uh, Brooks had to write out his farewell sermon and have it printed. It consisted of 27 legacies uh, that he wanted to leave to his congregation. I'm going to read the first two. Legacy one. The first legacy I would leave you with shall be this. Secure your interests in Christ. Make it your great business, your work, your heaven to secure your interest in Christ. This is not an age, an hour for a man to be between fears and hopes, between doubting and believing. Legacy two, make Christ and the scripture the only foundation for your souls and faith to build on. As the apostle says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, other foundations can no man lay than that which is laid, even Jesus Christ. And Isaiah 28.6, behold, I lay on Zion for a foundation. A stone, a tried stone, a cornerstone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. 
since it is a very dangerous thing, as much as your souls and eternity is worth, for you to build on anything beside Jesus Christ. Many will say, come, build on this authority and that, on this saying and that, but take heed, end quote. Edmund Calamy was another such preacher ejected from his pulpit at the time. In his farewell sermon, he preached that sin brings persons and nations into great trials and tribulations. He said, quote, that beside many outward troubles, sin brings a spiritual famine upon the land, a famine of the word. Have not some of you itching ears who would fain have a preacher who would feed you with dainty phrases and who begin not to care for a minister that reigns your consciences and speaks to your hearts? Some who by often hearing sermons are become sermon proof. There is hardly any way to raise the price of the gospel ministry but to have the one of it. Give glory to God by confessing and repenting of your sins before darkness comes, end quote. Many other pastors since the birth of the church have, for various reasons, left their congregations. But make no mistake about it, they still serve the same Lord. We need to realize that uh, all the local churches in the world... The believers in those churches are part of the one grand universal church of God. And that no one can escape the universal church of God once they come to faith in Jesus Christ. That we are all working for Christ. It doesn't matter where we are or who we are or what ministries we're in. If we're doing ministry for the glory of God, according to the word of God, we are serving the Lord of the church. The Bible only records for us one farewell sermon. It is summarized by Dr. Luke in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 35. The context of Acts 20 is Paul is on the tail end of his missionary journey. He started out in Antioch. And if you're thinking, I'm not familiar with where that is. If you can picture the Mediterranean Sea and you go up to the upper right-hand corner or northeast, just inland, is Antioch. And then Paul traveled across Asia Minor in kind of a west and then a northwest fashion, visiting all of these churches. He stopped at Ephesus, preached there, planted a church there, and spent three years there preaching the gospel, training and equipping leaders to shepherd the church. He then left Ephesus and traveled northward and made a loop around the Aegean Sea down towards Corinth and then back again. But when he came back, he was headed for Jerusalem. God revealed to him in a vision that he was to go to Jerusalem where bonds and afflictions awaited him. So he knew it wasn't going to be good, but that was his destination. And on his way back, he stopped at Miletus. It was a town that was about 35 miles south of Ephesus. And there in in Miletus, he sent messengers and said, Go tell the elders of the Ephesians church to come down to me. I want to speak to them because Paul knew he would never see them again. And so he called for them. And they came down to him. And his desire was to give them grace, to encourage them, to remind them of their responsibilities so that the church at Ephesus would continue to thrive. I mean, like no other church Paul invested in Ephesus. It was his joy and his crown. It was right in this strategic location. He spent more time there than any other church. He sent Apollos there, who was mighty in the scriptures. He sent Priscilla and Aquila there. He sent uh, Tychicus and Timothy to pastor, to be the pastor teacher there. I mean, he sent his whole A-team squad to Ephesus because it was such a strategic location. So his heart was knit with the leadership there. And so he asked for them to come down so he could encourage them, impart some wisdom, knowledge, and grace that they would continue to obey Christ even after he was gone. And this is really my desire for you this morning. As I stand here, and this is my last Sunday, I want to impart to you the same things Paul imparted to his 
beloved Ephesian elders. And that is those truths that he preached to them and those things he modeled for them that that church might continue to grow and thrive. So please look at Acts 20 with me, verse 17. And if you could all stand for the reading of God's word and prayer afterward, that would be great. This is what the word of God says. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I am going, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would use this text and the example of Paul to remind us of those critical and important things we must both believe and do, especially the leaders of Calvary Bible Church, that you would cause us all to be brought face to face with your truth, that it would enter into all of our hearts and perform its work in us who believe. And for those who do not know you, those who are deceived about their true spiritual condition and those who are not, Father, may your gospel rend their hearts. May they be broken and humbled and come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, that they might believe and be born again and transformed by saving grace. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to point out 10 examples of Paul's ministry, which he modeled for the Ephesians and which I have sought to model for you, though imperfectly, that you might be encouraged, challenged, comforted, and prosper more than ever after my departure. First, I did not come here for a vacation. Look at verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know that from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. In this text, Paul describes how he served the church of Ephesus, even though it was painful. He uses the word tears, trials, 
and plots of the Jews. He did not go to Ephesus or, in fact, any place for ease and luxury. He did not try to avoid hardship or persecution. He went where he saw the greatest need. And because the need was great, he went there and suffered a great deal, an incredible amount. I grew up in California. I attended the master's seminary. But frankly, I don't like smog. I don't like traffic. I don't like the weather here. I don't like the hectic pace of life here. I don't like the lack of open spaces, rivers with no water in them. (laughs) I don't like the abundance of restrictions and starless night skies and bold immorality, to name a few. In fact, upon graduating from seminary, I left California that very night to escape the city. And I thought I would never return again. I was committed not to return again. And when I came to visit Calvary Bible Church through a series of events, there were many people who were turned against me before my arrival, and I didn't know why. All I knew is people didn't like me before I even showed up. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody here. All I knew is there were people saying unkind things to me, maligning me, and slandering me, mostly because... I just told them the truth. Now, you might describe my first visit to Calvary Bible Church as war, conflict, and miserable. There was a clear group of people who were longing to be taught the Word of God, and there were others who did not want to be taught the Word of God. And they were very vocal. Now, think with me. If you were a pastor living in a nice city in a nice house with a nice yard and wonderful schools and clean air and rivers with water in them and lakes and mountains nearby, and you visited a church where people assaulted you, slandered you, and really attacked you because you told them the Bible, what would you do? What would you do? You know what I saw? I saw people here who loved God's word who wanted to learn God's word and were praying hard for somebody to come here to teach them the word of God. And so that's why I came. I didn't come for a vacation. I knew it was going to be difficult. And I would warn all of you against fair weather Christianity. There are many who are willing to serve as long as it's not too inconvenient as long as it doesn't require too much sacrifice, as long as the situation is just what they want, they're fair-weather Christians. They're not willing to sacrifice for the Lord. They just want to do whatever's easy, to go with the flow. But I would encourage you to look at Moses, who forsook the passing pleasures of Egypt to do what God wanted him to do, which is to go out in the middle of nowhere and live for a long time. To shepherd sheep and then lead God's people and suffer at their hand. Oh, they were mean to him. But when you're serving the Lord, you minister where the need is great. You serve because you're trying to honor the Lord. You're not doing it for yourself and you're not doing it for other people. You're doing it for the Lord. And I would encourage all of you to do the same. Serve, serve, serve. The Lord is worth it. Don't look at ministry like vacation, but as that spiritual warfare that Paul describes, that we are all in a battle. And it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the, the, the world forces, the powers of darkness that are opposing you, reading your Bible, praying, sharing the gospel, serving, giving, doing all those things God wants you to do. They're against you. And though you don't see them, they are. You're in a war. The question is, are you fighting the good fight or going with the flow? Secondly, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Look at verse 20 where Paul says how I did not shrink from declaring 
to you anything that was profitable. I have read Acts 20 many, many times to remind myself of what God wants me to do. When I first came here, I preached a topical series on the character and attributes of the Word of God. And I did that so that everybody who was here at that time would know that God was going to have a say in His church through His Word. That the Scriptures were sufficient for everything pertaining to life and godliness. And that the Gospel was the power of God for all who believed. That we were not to trust in experiences, but the Bible alone. And so sola scriptura was my constant theme. And I received untold grief from this. I had people tell me that if I preached on the sovereignty of God and salvation, they would leave. I did, and they left. I had people tell me that if I preached on predestination, they would leave. I did, and they left. I had people tell me that if I preached that we were to practice church discipline, they would leave. I did, and they left. I had people tell me they were leaving because they knew I would preach against abortion. I had people leave because they said I was preaching work salvation because I preached that sinners needed to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet... I knew what God's job description was for me. I just kept reading 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Acts 20 over and over again. That's how I made it through. Paul told Timothy, the teaching pastor at Ephesus, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Never forget this. All scripture, not some scripture, all scripture equips believers for every good work. You cannot edit the Bible. You cannot avoid subjects. You cannot skirt around doctrinal issues. The whole thing must be preached in its entirety. Just take it. I had people come up to me a lot just saying, man, Jack, you know, come on, man, lay off, pal. It's just judgment, judgment, judgment. I said, do you see it in the passage? Yeah. Well, then that's what I'm going to preach. You preach what's ever in the passage. You accept whatever God has for you. Some say, well, it's not very loving. Everything in this book is loving. All the judgment, all the warning, This whole book is a love gift to every believer. And anybody who doesn't want to hear what this book says, obviously does not want to hear from God. This book in its entirety is a gift of love and grace to the church. And preachers are commanded to preach it all. Third, I taught you publicly and privately Just as Paul did. He says he taught publicly and from house to house. I met with people in cars and parks and restaurants and homes and businesses. I've taught people in hospitals, at funerals, in my office, at Starbucks, in backyards, on rooftops. While helping people move, while digging weeds in people's yards. Every venue I could, I tried to bring up the gospel and teach people the word of God. I discipled many men, some who are pastoring churches elsewhere. I encourage the elders and all of you to do the same. How many times have you heard me say, you need to be involved in a discipleship relationship? You either need to be discipling somebody, being discipled by somebody, or both. That's how the church thrives. You find a church where there's no discipleship. You find a church that's dying or dead. We must be involved. That's how the one another's of the Bible flow. They flow through discipleship relationships. You teach studying to teach others. They learning from you. They taking what you take and give to somebody else. You know, 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things that you have heard from me and the presence of many witnesses, these in trust of faithful men will be able to teach others also. Four generations in one verse. And so know this. Be involved in discipleship. Everyone needs to be involved in discipleship. It doesn't matter how old you are. Get discipled or disciple or both. 
Four, I preached repentance from sin and faith in Christ. Look at verse 21. Paul says that while he was at Ephesus, he was solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I preached repentance, though many people opposed me in doing so. I, I marveled at that. I'd never had that happen. People left Calvary Bible Church because they claimed that I was preaching work salvation because they didn't realize that people repent as an act of God's grace. That God grants people repentance just like he grants them the ability to believe. It's all by grace. But believe me, you cannot hang on to your sins and receive Jesus. The wicked must forsake their way and the unrighteous man must turn from his wicked thoughts and he must rotate away from his sin towards the Lord to a fine pardon. As Jesus said in Luke 13, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Or as Paul declared on Mars Hill in Acts 17, for God is commanding all people everywhere to repent. One man was so angry with me for preaching repentance week after week that he decided to go home, study the doctrine of repentance in his Bible, figure out what it meant, and come back and fix me. So he went home, got out a concordance, and started looking up every single text in the Bible on repentance, and he read it and soon was converted. And then he led his wife and daughter to the Lord. Currently, while preaching repentance, I also, or concurrently with preaching repentance, I also preached that salvation was by faith in Jesus Christ alone. I preached that people have to believe, have faith in, trust in Christ alone, his person and work for salvation. And believe me, I sat in my office and thought of how many ways I could present the gospel just to make sure I wooed, threatened, scared, baited. I tried everything. I tried to appeal you. I tried to speak of the glories of heaven, how the forgiveness of sin, the transformed life, the scariness of hell. I sought to unmask the pretenders who thought they knew and loved the Lord because they only came to church on Sunday, who called themselves Christians but didn't love Christ. They were merely religious. I declared with Jesus that you must be born again or you cannot see the kingdom of God. And I prayed to God every week for the salvation of your souls. All of us need to be preaching repentance from sin to God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is our mission. It is the message. It is the power of God for all who believe. You take that message out, the church dies. Five, I'm not sure what awaits me either. Look at verses 22 and 23 where Paul says, And now behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying, bonds and afflictions await me. Paul knew that the the leaders in Jerusalem hated his guts. They knew they tried to kill him on multiple occasions. They knew there was a whole mob of people just waiting for him to come back so they could attack him. And the Lord made it clear that he had to go to Jerusalem. He didn't know what was going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I leave here. I'm not moving to Russia, although I'm going there for nine days. I'm not going to pursue a full-time writing career. I'm going to pastor a church. Lord willing, preach, teach, and do some writing. That's all. And unlike Paul, the Holy Spirit has not revealed the future to me. I will still be working for the same boss, though. Just as you will be working for the same boss when you're at work, when you're at the park, when you're in the grocery store, when you're here on Sunday morning, we all work all the time for the same boss. It's not about this local body of believers. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Lord of the whole church. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I have delighted myself in the Lord and he's given me a desire to preach, teach and write. All I can say is, is 
I was not slow in having this desire. It has been constant, it has been persistent, and it has gone on for years. And so I am going to step out in faith, and I'm going to pursue that. Now, does that mean I'm going to be a great author? Probably not. And really, I hope my books never show up in big stacks at Costco. (laughs) Any book that gets to Costco in a big pile is not worth reading. If the world likes it, you missed up somewhere. I do want to leave a written legacy so that those who love God's word can be blessed after I'm gone. So though dead, I can speak. I would encourage you to do whatever God has for you to do and step out in faith. Some of you should be missionaries right now. Some of you should be in the ministry. Some of you should be involved in ministry here and are. Some of you should be sharing the gospel with people and you're not. Some of you are holding back because you're fearful or you're doubting or whatever it is. Do whatever God has for you to do. Whatever he's put on your heart, that nagging thing, cave into it. Cave into it. And let him move you along. Six, my goal is to finish whatever ministry God has for me. Look at verse 24. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself that I may finish my course on the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. God is my witness. I have labored to exhaustion to preach the gospel to you. And you know what? I have given up hobbies and comforts and sleep and days off and vacations so I could minister to you and the church of God at, lo- uh, at large. I have, through the efforts of Kevin Hobson, I don't know, preached to maybe millions of people around the world. Our website reaches 150 countries. So I don't even know how to count that. All I know is everywhere I go around the world, people listen to Calvary Bible Church and download stuff off our website around the world. And though busy and though often preferring to rest, I took on more responsibilities so that the gospel could go forth. I taught at the Master's Seminary, teaching the next generation of pastors how to preach and teach. I sat home many Wednesday nights for hours on end grading papers. I prepared very large preaching syllabi while fulfilling my other ministry responsibilities here in order that I might fly to distant places, get severe jet lag, and teach pastors in other countries. And believe me, I'm tall. I suffer every time I travel. (laughs) My knees hit the seat in front of me, and my head is above the top of the seat back. I've been stranded for three days alone in Germany in the middle of winter with no warm clothes. It took me 66 hours to get to one destination that should have taken me 20-something. I've returned and labored to catch up from being gone while suffering jet lag that was just absolutely miserable. And like Paul, I have sought to fulfill whatever ministry God has given me even to my own hurt. One ministry trip took me about a year and a half to get over for all the afflictions went away. You need to make sure you're not a fair weather Christian. You need to just do whatever ministry God gives you to do and just do it. It's okay if you're tired. It's okay if you wear yourself out for Jesus. He's worth it. And you're never going to get to heaven going, well, I wish I would have served less. I wish I would have shared the gospel with fewer people. I wish I would have conserved my energy and, you know, put more into things destined to perish. You'll never think that way. You'll just wish you would have done more. So do more. Do as much as you can. Seven. I am innocent of your blood. Look at verse 25. Paul says, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I know before God that I have preached Jesus Christ and him crucified with relentlessness. I have preached Christ so frequently and so hard that some Christians have come to me and said, why do you keep doing that? 
Because unless people repent, they'll perish. Because God commands me to do so. I'm a gospel preacher, so I have to preach the gospel. It's pretty obvious. Believe me, there's not too many people preaching the gospel out there. When Paul is speaking here, he's referring to Ezekiel 33, verses 2 through 6, where the prophet Ezekiel is warned by God. God says, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon the land, and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet and warns the people. Then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be in his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood will be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow on the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes a person from them he is taken away in his iniquity but his blood i will require from the watchman's hand that's why i preach the gospel and if you are out there going man this is my first sunday whoa 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 (laughs) i want you to know jesus christ is lord He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and rose again the third day. God commands you to repent, to turn from your sins, and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. If you do not, you will perish and end up in hell, and your blood is not on my hands. Because I just told you. I can say, as Paul says in our text here, as Jonathan Edwards said in his farewell sermon to his congregation for more than 20 years, quote, I have used my utmost endeavors to win you. I have sought out acceptable words that if possible, I might prevail upon you to forsake sin, turn to God and accept of Christ as your Savior and Lord. I have spent my strength very much in these things, end quote, and I would encourage you to do the same thing. Spend your strength praying for people's salvation and telling people the gospel. Go ahead and blow up relationships. Go ahead and blow up families if necessary. Preach the gospel. It's the only thing that will save a sinner. It's the only thing that works. Eight. I exhort the elders to shepherd the flock of God. Look at verses 28 to 30. Paul says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. I have labored to guard you from false teachers and false teaching. I've tried to expose false teaching that's in society. I have personally run from the foyer false teachers who have come in from outside. And if you are an elder or an aspiring elder or a leader in any ministry, I exhort you, as Paul did to the Ephesian elders, to make shepherding the highest priority in the church. Not the care and maintenance of the building but the care and maintenance of God's sheep that God through Christ purchased with his own precious blood. Programs may go, niceties may go, bulletins may go, air conditioning may go, but the shepherding of God's flock cannot go. It must not go. Every elder must desire the work of an elder and do the work of an elder. It's not a decision-making position. It's an appointment to shepherd the flock of God. It's amazing how many people want you to do something other than what God wants you to do. 
And it's amazing how Paul knows that he's going to leave. He's going to depart from this world. And he says, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flocks. And from among your own selves, men will arise. In every church, there's always infiltration from outside. People want to come in and draw some of you away into false doctrine and heresies and and lead you into sin and do things like that. Not only that, there's always people rising up from within the congregation that need to be dealt with because they're leading people into sin, um, causing factions, gossiping, slandering, causing contention. It just, it never ends. It's just the way it is. It's like, you know, that place you've weeded a million times in your yard, though you've never gone to the store and bought a package of weed seeds and spread them out. They just grow. And though you cut them down, though you spray them, they keep coming back and coming back year after year. It's like, man, where do they come from? Well, they're like false teachers. They rise up relentlessly. It's amazing to me that some who hated me and left 11 and a half years ago have risen up recently, cheering my departure and letting me know about it. Beware of those who preach false doctrine, who will not submit to the leadership of the church. And remember, you are under the command of God, elders, to shepherd the church of God. The church so precious that Christ bought it with his precious blood. And remember, shepherding requires two primary tasks, feeding and protecting the sheep. When you read through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, and Acts 20 here, feeding, protecting. They are the constant and relentless themes of those books written to leaders. Nine, I've coveted no man's silver or gold. When I came here, I told the elders... I didn't want to know what they were going to pay me or the benefits. I said, after I make my decision, if I want to come here and after I arrive, you can tell me. One elder said, well, what if we don't pay you enough? I said, you'll be in sin and I'll get a part time job. (laughs) And they did pay me enough. And I can say, as Paul said in verses 33 and 34, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. You know, since the building project started, the whole church has had to cut back. I mean, we don't have a lot of the things that we used to have because the money's tight. I've purchased my own books. I've purchased my own computers. I purchased my own software, my own little preaching gadgets. In some respects, I served as a soldier at my own expense, and so have the other pastors. But I can say I've coveted no man's silver or gold or clothes. I was telling my wife, this is the first suit I wore when I came here and preached. And she said, you know what? The skirt I'm wearing is 11 years old too. And since I have nothing to gain, since I'm leaving, I would exhort all of you, especially the elders, to make sure you take care of the pastors you have. It's a subject that you really can't preach on when you're pastor because it looks self-serving. But the scriptures make it clear, do not muzzle the ox while they are threshing. Let them eat as much as they want as they pull the sled or the plow or whatever. Not only that, that you consider those who work hard at teaching and preaching as being worthy of double honor, double pay, and that you remember the one who has taught the word is to share all good things with him who teaches him. That all of you take care of your pastors, that you pray for them, that you encourage them. They are the bullseye of Satan's efforts. How will they preach unless they are sent? Calvary Bible Church has the greatest pastors. There is just no conflict. There is doctrinal unity. There is unity of purpose among the pastors There is no better children's pastor than Brock Boldy. I mean, he is, he, we have like the best, the best children's program. It is just unparalleled. It is unparalleled. 
I mean, he could have made a lot more money as a banker, believe me. And in Wildy, the most well-read, smartest guy I know. He's just a walking encyclopedia. He's read everything. I don't know how. You know, he was a successful lawyer and he made a little bit more than he's making now by a great deal. This was not a step up for him in pay. He loves and considers it a privilege to disciple God's people, to counsel people in the word of God. It is his passion. Many don't know, but he's going to school to get a master's degree in counseling while he's ministering here, while he's teaching at the college. His Sunday school class is larger than most churches in America. He labors harder than anyone I know. Thank you, brother. And Tim Adams, part-time music director, he's a shepherd. He shepherds those people in the music ministry. A lot of you don't know. Do you know he goes to school at night, works a full-time job, and works here? And he's not doing it because it makes life easy for him. It does it because he loves the Lord and because he loves you. And he's serving you. And Tim Carnes, who will be filling the pulpit after my departure, Tim has put his hand to various things, and they always prosper. If you've been involved in any ministry of Tim Carnes, it always prospers. He has a great passion to shepherd the flock, to train men, to build healthy families. He can teach, he can preach, he can administrate. He's far more gifted than I am. Some people say, oh, you know, I don't know. It's like, well, Tim, Tim's going to be fine. I am confident that Calvary Bible Church will thrive under his preaching and teaching. And I exhort you before God, because of what the word of God says, that you take care of these men. Remember, you get what you pray for. Pray for these men, care for them, share all good things with them who teach. Do not muzzle the ox while they are thrashed, where they are threshing. Make sure that you give them the honor that the scriptures say you need to give them. So that's a joy and a not a grief for serving you. And 10, in parting, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. Look at verse 32. Paul says, and now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commend you to no program. I commend you to no church growth strategy. I commend you to no secular book, to no business practices. I commend you to no one but God and the word of his grace. There's never been a healthy, thriving, evangelistic church that has forsaken the centrality of the preaching and teaching of God's word, ever. There are some great churches in there as far as size, huge churches, but they aren't giving glory to God if they don't preach the whole counsel of God's word and make God's word central to everything they do. I wish I could say that I have shepherded this flock as well as Paul shepherded the Ephesians church. I know I haven't. I've shepherded imperfectly. I wish I would have done a lot of things that I didn't do. I wish I would have had strength to do things I couldn't do. But I can tell you this, though no church is perfect, Calvary Bible Church is far better than most. I've preached at a lot of churches and I can tell you this, that Calvary Bible Church is a very squared away church. Doctrinally, ministries, focus, leadership. We have elders who are shepherding, training. In a lot of churches, they just you know, pay the paid guys and the elders are decision makers. Our elders are all sacrificing. They're all serving. They're giving. They're discipling. They're visiting people in the hospital. They're all doing the work of an elder. And this makes a very strong church. And one of the reasons I felt I could leave is that attendance is up, giving is up, ministries are thriving, the elders are laboring to shepherd the flock. You have excellent pastors who are united in purpose and doctrine. 
It's about as good as you could get it. And so like Paul, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. When Thomas Watson preached his farewell sermon to his flock at St. Stephen's Church in Walbrook, on the fateful day in 1662, his final words were these. Lord, draw your image every day more lively upon us. Give us a more lively hope and a more inflamed love to Christ. Let us have a spirit of courage and resolution. Keep us from the fallacies of our own hearts. Keep us from the defilements of the times. Make us pure in heart that we may see you, that we may have gospel spirits, humble spirits, and meek spirits. As Christ took our flesh, let us partake of his spirit. You embitter our hearts that we should find the sweetness of the promise. There is as much in the promise as ever. Let us live upon you. Let us cast anchor in heaven and we shall never sink. Do all this for Christ's sake. Who not seeing we love and whom believing we rejoice to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be glory, honor, and praise now and forever. Amen. Pray with me. Father, I just pray blessings upon Calvary Bible Church. I pray for all the pastors that you would take care of them, strengthen them, give them help, health, and Father, give them every good thing as they lay down their lives to shepherd the sheep here. I pray for all the elders that they would consider every decision in light of the scriptures, that your word and prayer would constantly guide their minds and thoughts and actions, that they would be examples to the flock, that they would remember that like priest, like people. The church never rises above the level of its leadership. And Father, I pray for those here who know and love Jesus Christ. I pray that they would be a praying church, that they would practice the godly disciplines, that they would all take upon themselves to serve and give and preach the gospel in whatever sphere you give them. And I pray for those who don't know Jesus Christ. I pray that you would grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, that you would open their hearts and minds to receive the truth implanted, that they would see the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross, dying in their place, suffering the wrath they deserve, and that in seeing that and knowing that he did that for them, knowing that he shed his blood on our behalf, was buried and rose again in the third day, that they would turn to Jesus Christ in faith, that they would repent of their sins, they would believe and father you would cause them to be born again to change them into new creatures in christ and father that through all of this jesus christ would receive all the glory the honor and praise we ask this in his name amen